Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Amen. Um, If you have your Bibles, um, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 4 and just hold your finger there. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 together. And I'm going to talk about a couple different scriptures, and um, we're going to have fun today. We're going to have fun. I said we're going to have fun. All right, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. You don't have to go to this specific um, chapter and verse with me, but I do want to, um, I want to just release it before we go to Matthew. Is that okay? I'm getting just a tiny bit of feedback here, if we can kind of bring that down just a little bit. So as of late, the past few weeks, um, I've been talking about this whole concept of going back to the garden. Who was not here last week? Did I preach last week? It was last week, right? Back to the garden. I'm a guy. I don't like, you know, you guys forget. I can't even tell you what I had for lunch yesterday. What guy can tell me what he had for lunch yesterday? No guys are raising their hands. See what I mean? So I've been talking about this whole concept of going back to the garden. Who was not here last week? Show your hands. Okay, only a couple people. Um, The Lord has really been ministering to me about this subject. You probably wonder, what, what does that mean, going back to the garden? Aren't we supposed to move forward? The Bible says we go from glory to glory and faith to faith. Aren't we supposed to move forward? Absolutely. Um, and throughout this little series that we're going to be doing, there's probably going to be, I don't know, two, three, four more sermons that are going to comprise of this whole Back to the Garden um, series, and I think it's going to be great. My whole intention uh, for teaching these topics is really because I want, I want to see revival spark for the church, not just this church, but the church at large. And sometimes in order to go, f- go forward, you have to go backwards, right? Amen? And, and last week, we talked about going back to the garden, but the subtitle was separation. Everybody say separation. It was talking about what happened in the garden, how when Adam and Eve chose to eat of the forbidden fruit, how there was a separation and a gap in their relationship with God that took place in that once known fellowship, that intimacy that they once knew was now broken completely. They were once able to talk with God, walk with God in the garden, and the presence of God was familiar to them. They had direct access. They didn't have to fast. They didn't have to give a $1,000 offering in order to get God's blessings of his presence. They didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to work it up through intercession. They didn't have to create a prayer room. They didn't have to create a prayer garden. They had direct access to the Father. How many want that for their own lives? How many want direct access? Well, when Jesus died, that access was granted Everything that was blocked up, stopped up, broken because of Adam and Eve's fall has now been uh, accessible to us as sons and daughters because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And it all sounds good. We hear this stuff. But if if the truth were to be known about me and you, we really don't live that kind of life, do we? Some of you are sitting in this room today who need answers to certain issues that you have in your life. 
in your marriage, in your finances, some un, maybe unanswered prayers or maybe a lack of direction in a certain career path or maybe you're battling uh, in your marriage in regards to something or maybe it's a loved one who's lost and you don't know what else to do. You've cried all the tears you can, you've, can cry and you've prayed all the prayers you can pray and you just don't see any breakthrough in that area of your life. But I really firmly believe there is a relationship that we can have through Jesus Christ with God the Father that is direct fellowship like Adam had with God in the garden as well as Eve. Where are the ladies at? Come on, ladies included. Amen? So that is the whole reason for this series in order for us to go forward in revival. That's what we are wanting to do. Amen? Okay. I want to read Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. Okay? Genesis 3, verse 24, it says this. And so he, meaning God, drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden. This is after the fall. This is after the disobedience. So this is a result of what happened as a result of them taking of the forbidden fruit. And it says this. And a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. In other words, God kicked them out of the garden as a result of their disobedience. Say, God kicked them out. And so in Matthew chapter 4, we're picking up where God left off. Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 is the first thing that happens. In other words, where Adam and Eve fell when she saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, desirable to make one wise, Jesus goes through the same three temptations that Adam and Eve just went through. And the gap between Matthew chapter 4 and Genesis 3 is a long 6,000-year period. Amen? I want, you to, I want to watch this because I kind of want to preach and I want to teach a little bit. Is that okay? So we're going to do a lot of scripture reading because I want you to be scripturally sound with this. Amen? Matthew chapter 4. I want you to watch this. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. I want to underline that word, led by the Spirit. Because he's about to have an encounter with Satan, yet God led him into this. The devil didn't trap him into this. The Lord led him into a fight with the devil. Because if God were going to use Jesus to restore everything that Adam lost, God would have to use Jesus to restore that very thing. Amen? Matthew chapter 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. By the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and nights afterward, he was hungry. We can hardly get through one meal without getting hungry. Now when the tempter had came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, everybody say if. If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered and said, it is written. This is what Jesus did to combat the devil. He used the scripture against the devil. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, which would have been Solomon's temple at that time. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. I want you to take note that every time the devil is tempting, at least in the first temptation, in the second one, he's questioning him with the if. He's wanting Jesus to question whether or not he is actually the son of God. Everybody take note of that. Okay, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give, he, God, shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. 
And Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, the devil said to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Hold on. They already belong to Jesus. So how are you going to give me something that already belongs to me? Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Each time you come out of a season of warfare, you're always going to be met with ministering angels coming to you and comforting you. Each time you come out of a season of warfare, and warfare is important because warfare, when you come out of that, it is to build your faith. The Bible says in John chapter 15, I know I'm taking a little bit of a rabbit trail here, he says... Like, have you ever had like a season where you've been really, really fruitful and right after that season, you have to be really careful because then God comes in and cuts you? When you have fruit, always know that right behind that season is going to come of a defruiting season where God is going to come and cut some branches, but he does that so you can produce more fruit. So, but also on the flip side, after every season of warfare comes a season of fruitfulness. Amen? And that's exactly what happened here with Jesus. What am I saying all this for? What am I trying to extract or extrapolate from Genesis and Matthew chapter 4? These are the same three temptations that Adam and Eve faced in Genesis 3. When she saw the tree was good for food, that was the lust of the flesh. When she saw it was pleasant to the eyes, desirable to make one wise, that was the pride of life. And the lust of the eyes was she saw that it was Good, right? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, which Jesus talked about, and it's also indicated in the epistles. So where Adam and Eve fell, like I said before, Jesus picks up 6,000 years later in what he called the wilderness. If you look at verse 1, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. In Genesis, I read that they were forced outside of a garden. I indicated this last week. So what is outside of a garden when Adam and Eve got put outside of a garden? A wilderness. So Jesus picks up where Adam got put out, and he gets faced with the same three temptations. However, unlike Adam, Jesus battles the enemy with the word of God, and he conquers and finds victory where Adam found defeat. Why is this all important? Because Jesus is the second Adam, and he came to restore everything that Adam lost. Everybody say, Jesus is the second Adam. Where do you get that from, preacher? I'm so glad that you asked. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me build the framework and we're going to have some fun. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you can put it up on the screen. If not, you can note it um, on a notepad or what have you. It's in verse 45 through 49 and it says this. And the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became, became a life-giving spirit. Who's the last Adam? Come on, talk to me, church. Jesus. Come on, everybody say Jesus. Jesus. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, meaning Adam, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As the man of the dust, so also are those who are made of the dust, and as is the heavenly man, so also those who are heavenly. And as we have been born in the image of of the man of the dust, we also shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Who is that heavenly man we're talking about? We're talking about Jesus. So Jesus is the second Adam. So Jesus came to close the gap 
that separation that we were talking about last Sunday between us and God. Amen? So I want to minister from a subject this morning called closing the gap. Everybody say closing the gap. In order to get back to that grandeur that we've seen indicated in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 before the fall, we will have to go through similar times of testing and trials if we're going to get back to that original fellowship that God intended for man and woman to have with him. Can you say amen? I know that's not a whole lot to shout over. because Jesus died. I want to make this clear. We cannot take the place of Jesus, but Jesus also said, take up your cross and follow after me, right? So if we are going to reap the benefits that Jesus had with God the Father, which is a rich relationship, right? In the garden that Adam had, that Eve had with God, we will have to go through similar testing and trials if we're going to get there. Trials is always a sign of where you're going, Trials are not a bad thing. It's not a sign that you're out of the will of God, and I teach you guys that all the time. It's a sign that you are because God is grooming you for something. He's grooming you for a next season. When I lift weights often, the way that I increase my weights is I push myself to the limit. God often uses testing and trial in your life. He increases the weight in your life season after season, year after year, to build up your tolerance against trial, tribulation, hardship, pain so that you will be a son or a daughter of the most high God who is ready for warfare in these end times. Point number one, you will go through what I love to call the flesh test. Everybody say the flesh test. I want to see what he did. Okay, cool. The flesh test. And Matthew 4 Verse 2 through 4, I'll reiterate it again. We just read it, but it said this. And when Jesus had fasted 40 days and night, afterward he was hungry. Then the tempter came to him, and he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice one of the first things that Jesus did when he went into that wilderness to face the enemy was fast. Everybody say fast. And nobody likes fasting. If I can be quite honest, and I have to be because I'm a minister, there's nothing I dislike more than fasting. I can pray, I can intercede, but fasting, it's not something I like. When churches talk about, hey, we're going on a 20-day fast together, I can't help but think about the chicken wings I'm going to have to suffer from not having. Come on, how many like chicken wings? American. It's not that fasting gets God to come closer to you because he sees you fasting and he's just he feels remorse for you or or gratitude that you're doing something to honor him no 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 that has nothing to do with fasting fasting puts your flesh in place so that you can begin to hear from the holy spirit so that when it's actually 12 o'clock lunchtime, you're not thinking about going to Mickadee's or Chick-fil-A, no matter what it is that you like, but you are going to put yourself in a focused place where you focus on God to build your spirit up, not your flesh up. So if we're going to get back to the garden and have that relationship with God that was once there but now lost because of Adam, we will go through times of testing in the flesh. Amen? So fasting will often get your flesh ready because you, de- you must dethrone the flesh in order to awaken the spirit man. Amen? I thought this was completely hilarious. The other day, it was Wednesday, I believe, I'm, I'm sitting on, on the back bar table, 
and I have three hot dogs, you know, sitting there. They were all beef. It just surely doesn't taste like beef. But anyway, I have these two hot dogs. I have one that didn't have bread. So, you know, to make myself feel better, one of them didn't have bread. And uh, Mo is over here in the, um, in the right um, mirror. You know, he's looking at himself. And, you, oh, you do that too. You're like, I need to, you know, start being careful of what you eat. And he's saying all those things. And I'm stuffing my face with these hot dogs. And I'm agreeing with him. Like, yeah, you really do. And, you know, I'm just sitting there, you know, I'm... And I'm stuffing my face, fattening myself up, and I'm just laughing away. And, um, and you could tell he really meant it. Like he was really, he's like, man, I'm really going to start getting my flesh in check and I'm going to start eating better. You know, I'm feeling tired throughout the day and I'm just giggling under my breath. And then the following day, you know, I'm feeling a lot more spiritual than I was the day before. You, you know you have those days. You have those days when you feel like you can fast for 40 days and then the next day comes and you're at, you know, um, Golden Corral. How many have those days when you feel real spiritual and then not so spiritual? Well, I'm feeling spiritual this next day because I'm studying. I didn't have the three hot dogs. I'm like in fast mode. And then all of a sudden, that once Moses that I knew on Wednesday came in a totally different Moses. And he has this... How many have had the Chick-fil-A cookies from Chick-fil-A? Yeah, that's exactly. They're about a half inch thick and warm. And he comes with one cookie bulging out of one of his pockets and the other one in his hand. And he walks in there. He's like, hey, do you want one of these? And he's got this huge grin on his face. I'm like, what happened to yesterday? I said, no, I don't want that cookie. I wanted to say, get thee behind me, Satan, but I didn't want to make him feel bad. So I said, no, I don't want that cookie. And so Moses, he doesn't even try to fight me on it. He gladly walks back out of my office with my cookie, doesn't even try to talk me out of it. And I thought, this guy right here, we call him the cookie monster, by the way, if you, know, you see him outside of church, that's, that's his... It was Joel and Marisol. They were used largely by the enemy. This is a funny story, but the reality of it is, is we are very finicky spiritual people. All of us. Look at your neighbor and says, you know you're finicky. Look at your other one. You're finicky. If we're truly going to be used by God, we don't talk about this. This is old-fashioned, and it's probably a little old-fashioned for a 34-year-old to talk about. But for the past 18 years, 10 years, uh, I spent underneath um, a pastor who was under, uh, over a deliverance ministry. So this specific topic was one of the main ones we talked about, killing the flesh, dethroning the flesh, getting your flesh in place. Because if we're really truly going to be used by God, we have to get beyond our feelings some people only pray when they feel like it, and I feel that's a shame. I was telling the, the team early this morning when we were in the briefing room, this morning at 5 a.m., I'm up. It's 5.15, and I'm praying, and I'm hitting the ceiling, and I'm not getting anywhere with God. Does anybody ever have those days? But all of a sudden, when I'm on my way to here, the Holy Spirit begins to just download some things in me and inspire me, and all of a sudden, I feel like I'm back in the Spirit. So never think that your prayers aren't effective when you're not feeling it. Because things are still happening in the spirit. You're still releasing things. You're still partnering with the Holy Spirit. So it's way beyond a feeling. And if we're going to be used by God in these last days, we have to dethrone our flesh and put our flesh in check. How do you put your flesh in check? 
Simply do the opposite of the way you feel. Easy as that, right? Just because your boss may be unfair to you doesn't mean you should appease your flesh by talking behind their back. Well, just because someone hurts you doesn't mean you should repay them back with the same. I'm talking about the flesh. Just because someone cuts you off in traffic doesn't mean you should loose your tongue like two wild dogs. Oh, you guys are all saints. You just smile at them. I almost put a bumper sticker on there that said pastor just to keep myself in check. And maybe one of our ascension signs, you know, just to make, remind myself so when they cut me off, I don't say something dumb. I'm just kidding. I don't have road rage. Just because you got paid doesn't mean you have to buy certain things that you want come Friday. Come on, somebody say, put your flesh in check. Just because you have certain sexual appetites doesn't mean you should let a screen rule you. Just because someone posts something on Facebook doesn't mean that the whole world needs to know how you feel about it. Just because your flesh is tired on Sunday, and this is for all of you who miss church on podcast this Sunday, doesn't mean you should stay home. Hallelujah. Number two, the pride purge. You will go through a season where your pride is purged. Same temptations that Adam faced, but Adam fell, yet Jesus faced the same ones, yet succeeded. How many want to succeed in their relationship with Jesus? I have news for you. Jesus did everything that he was ever going to do, yet you, there is still a partnership that we have to engage in with him if we're going to see the result of the kingdom in our personal lives. And that second point, again, is the pride purge. Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 through 7 says this. Um, excuse me, yes, 4, verse 5 through 7. Excuse me. It says this, then the devil took him up on the holy city, set him on the pinnacle, which was on the top of the temple, Solomon's temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you, bear you up. At least you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus used the scripture and said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So the pinnacle of the temple is about a 150 foot wall. How many are afraid of heights in here? Okay, so you're going to get me when I'm about to tell you. But let me tell you about this wall. This was Solomon's temple. This wall was about 150 feet. This specific area where Satan took him on the pinnacle, um, the Kidron Valley was there, right? So from the wall was only 150 feet. However, if Jesus were to jump off the wall, the end of the valley from the top of the pinnacle to the end of the valley was about 450 feet, 400 to 450 feet. So a big drop. So I don't blame Jesus's response here. Don't tempt the Lord your God. I've painted houses for a living for 18 years, close to 20 years now. And uh, when I first started out, my older brother, Daniel, he's taught me, don't tell him I said this, taught me much of what I know. I won't say everything. And so he would be up on the roof and we're talking two and three stories in the air. And you have to literally stand on the tip of the, the, the edge of the roof. 
So we're talking 30, 40 feet. I remember there was times when there were empty pools. These were new homes. We'd have to put these huge walkboards and then a 40-foot ladder on top of this empty walkboard. So I understand this Kidron Valley in the top of this temple type of thing because if you drop and you fall, that's it. You're done. And so I don't blame Jesus' response because he's like, don't tempt the Lord your God. Because my response to my brother oftentimes when he would say things like this, boy, stop being scared. God's, God's got control of this. You're not going to fall. And I, my response was, would have been like Jesus' response. Like, I'll let you tell it, you know, kind of thing. I don't want to stand near this roof. There's huge risk here. Like, I'm not going to over-spiritualize it. It, it. it almost seems like there's a bit of sarcasm in Jesus' response. I didn't see this until like yesterday or the day before. When Jesus said, I'm not going to tempt the Lord my God, because there was two things that were going to happen. Either Jesus would have jumped and he would have tempted the Lord and Jesus could have plummeted to his death and then he would have aborted all the 6,000 years that God had been preparing for Jesus. Or the angels would have bore Jesus up so he didn't dash his foot against a stone, but he would have done it in the exact area where lots of people would have seen it, but he would have got notoriety as a result of his pride, not God's will. You see, he would have been building his kingdom out of pride, and that's what the whole kingdom would have been rooted in if Jesus would have jumped off of that temple. Everybody with me? And Satan's kingdom operates mainly by a spirit of pride. Everybody say pride. His greatest weapon is deception, but his strength is in pride. That's the, what, how Satan operates. There's four main things that the satanic kingdom operates under, but its main thing is pride. The other one is fear, deception, and manipulation. But pride is the most dangerous one. Now watch this. Listen to this, Rebecca. Pride is the most dangerous one because it's the only spirit that can operate fully in full function in the presence of God. I have seen this firsthand, not fear, maybe not even some manipulation. I'm talking about a spirit of pride. I've, seen, I've, been, I've been alongside ministers for over 15 years. I have seen this in the front row, that a spirit of pride be in operation and still the gifts of healing are in operation, gift of signs, wonders, miracles, healings, you name it, but yet the spirit of pride is driven behind that. And I thought to myself, why is this the case, Lord? Why are you trying to purge us from pride? He said, because even Satan, imagine this, heaven is free of sickness, disease, sorrow, pain, tears, but it wasn't free of pride. This is why you still see it at work in the church at large today. Because God, for some reason, allowed pride to enter into Satan's heart and still be in operation in heaven. Because what Satan began to do is be, he, be, he wasn't the light, but he went to the light and began to see the reflection off of him. Now, he began to think that the reflection on him was his own light, and hence, he developed a spirit of pride and took a third of the angels out with him. God purge our church from a spirit of pride. Many of us do not walk in the fullness of what God has for us is because of a spirit of pride. You'll know a spirit of pride because you won't, because here's what pride does. It never admits where it really is. And it always thinks that it's further in God than what it really is. How are you doing today? Can I pray for anything? No, no, I'm doing perfect. Pride. Amen. Hurting, knowing that you need an answer from God. Yet pride oftentimes 
protects us from the blessing, keeps us from receiving from the blessings of God all because of that spirit. Amen? As I said before, I've seen this on a front row of a church for many, many years that I served on as a leader. I was one of the young adults leader at a local church here in Apopka. I was member number 4,000 and such and such. We grew up to almost 10,000 people within 12 years. It was an amazing movement um, here in Apopka. And uh, little by little, I won't mention his name uh, due to honor. He is now, my, my, my ex-pastor has now passed. But um, I've seen this in full operation. He was a humble man. I mean, just amazing. Everybody knows the end of his life, but not, not everybody knows the whole story. You know how some people like judge the end of it and they, 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 they think they know the whole story. Well, that wasn't always the whole story. Um, he was a humble guy, and he taught me so much. The, the faith that I preach now, I, I received much of that through um, being mentored through his ministry. And, um, but little by little, as the cameras came in and TBN being live-streamed on TBN week after week, year after year, and you know spilling over with 10,000 members, we were doing three services each week and it just explode no four services we do three on Sunday and we do eight o'clock and we do 11 o'clock and 1 p.m. and just we're, we're brimming over with people parking lot always full it was amazing but little by little as the smoke and the lights begin to to blind him he got sidetracked and he ended up being found in a hotel overdosed on drugs because of pride, because of pride. So you can imagine how I feel about large numbers of people. It's not that they scare me because we all want to see this place full, but I would rather have a place with few with the presence of God than have it brimming over with lots of people and get blinded by all of the external things. I was thinking about this in worship. You can go to a concert and get energy due to crowds of people. And some people think, I've gone with church people, man, wasn't the presence of God strong? And I'm like, no, God's presence actually wasn't here at all. There's a certain energy that lots of people can create, but then we call that presence. That's not God's presence. That's just the natural energy that crowds of people bring. I can't wait till this church maybe has, I don't care, 10 people in here and the glory of God falling. The glory will bring the people, but lots of people don't bring the glory. It only takes a few to bring the glory. It takes three people. As a matter of fact, my Bible says if two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Amen? So I'd rather grow in presence first and then grow in numbers. But let's get the presence down first. I'll leave this, this last point with this. I, I, I read this book called The Final Quest um, from Rick Joyner. Uh, probably one of the better books that I've ever read and in this book, it is a, um, how do I describe this? He gives a spiritual depiction of what the church looks like. And he goes through all of the stages of climbing up. There's this mountain uh, in, this, in this book. He describes the mountain on getting to the mountain, which is called the mountain of salvation, which is at the bottom. And then he goes through this whole story of what the person, man or woman of God, uh, how they develop as they climb this mountain. And at one phase, they start with this cloak of humility. And it's a cloak. It's a, a tattered cloak, like a brown one that you would see in maybe the biblical days. But then over time, as they learn to fight these specific enemies, like he 
he relates them to spirits. As they climb the mountain, God gives them upgrades with armor. So they took off the cloak and he got all this shiny armor on, but then God instructed him, make sure you put the cloak back over your armor because you have to be careful. If you keep the cloak of humility off of you long enough, what will happen is when the sun comes out and shines on you, it will begin to blind you and you will begin to lose the battle instead of gain ground in the battle. And there's nothing wrong with armor because we should all be dressed in armor, but make sure you keep on the cloak of humility because what, God, what happens is, is that the armor, as that builds our flesh and our pride sometimes if, if we don't keep that cloak on because what happens is we begin to think that this is in our own strength. Amen? And when we see the blessings of God in our life, we begin to take ownership of that and think it's something to do with our own doing. And pride begins to develop. And the Bible says that pride comes before a fall. And this is exactly what happened with my pastor. Point number three. Everybody okay? Point number three. You will go through the eye exam. I like to try to come up with these little catchy phrases that I see in the Bible. You guys like that? The eye exam. Everybody say eye exam. Again, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. If you want to know where your heart truly is at in God, pay attention to what catches your eye. A lot of people say, Lord, search my heart and know me. Listen, all you got to do, if you want to know your own heart and know where you're at in your relationship with Jesus, just pay attention to what captures your attention. What captures your attention? Look at somebody and say, what captures your attention? I personally live by three principles. I call them the big G's. Everybody say the big G's. There's three things that I do not touch. Don't touch the gold. Everybody say gold. Don't touch the glory. Say the glory. And don't touch the girl. Except my girl. Don't touch the gold. Meaning money. Never let money allow. Never let money have you. You have money, right? No matter how successful you ever get, don't touch the gold and don't touch God's glory. The Bible says he shares his glory with nobody and you don't touch the girl. All the guys say amen. And it works for the girls too. Don't touch the guy. Amen. See, still G. You have to be careful. This is why it's so important to kill the flesh. The Bible takes it so seriously about the eye because I was researching about the eye. And, and just how, what a miracle it is, like how it, how it captures imagery and colors and shapes. And I feel, you know, I can't even imagine not having 20-20 eye vision. It's just such a blessing. The, the, the eyes are a miracle, amen? But it, they can also be a curse in some respects if you do not get them in check. The Bible takes the eye so serious. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He's not really saying pluck your eyes out, okay? This is Jesus talking. If your eye calls you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter into life or heaven maimed than to lose your whole body by going to hell because of your sin. 
That's what Jesus was saying. He's just saying, hey, listen, this is how strongly I recommend you get your eyes in check. Amen? Make sure that the things of this world don't capture your eyes more than God captures your eye. What is it you look at when you first wake up in the morning? I just was thinking about this last night. Does Jesus have your attention? Does your gaze get found on him? Or do you start looking at every little thing you have to do in your day? Let's make it practical. It's not that the devil comes and puts us up on, and shows us all the kingdoms of their world. But in our personal practical lives, does Jesus capture your eyesight first before anything else on your schedule does when you wake up in the morning? What are you looking at? What has your attention? Look at somebody and say, what has your attention? I'll tell you what's had my attention lately, if I can be quite honest. I don't know if there's any other car. I was telling Moses this. My wife is, maybe you guys can talk to her and pray for her. I have been researching a 1957 Bel Air, and it's gotten pretty bad, and it, it definitely has my eye. Definitely has my eye. Teal she's like, you're not getting one for another 20 or 30 years. And so I'm researching this vehicle and they can range anywhere from 30,000 entry level basic to over $200,000. So they're getting really expensive. More, it's like 60 year old. It's a classic car. It's the most beautiful car there is. If I had a picture, I would show you. But that's been capturing my attention. I'm kind of just being funny because where you invest most of your time is an indication of where your heart is and what your eyes spend the most time doing. You know what really hurts me, and I believe hurts the heart of God? There are some times I've spent more time on YouTube watching videos than I've spent time with Jesus. Amen? And, and I believe, you, you know, the, the, the Bible talks about the devil, the enemy. Everybody say the enemy. Is the prince and power of this world. You know what that means? The prince and power of the air. Excuse me, the prince and power of the air. I believe he's talking about technology these days, prince and power of the air, how technology moves and how capturing and how addictive it is to the eyes. And so I believe Satan's whole, one of his greatest weapons today, and one of the greatest blessings, I believe, also is technology. But it robs much of us of our, of our family time, of our friendships, of our relationships. We have to make sure that we get our eyes in check and make sure it's on the right things. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I love this scripture right here. It's found in Matthew 6, 22, and I'm almost done. It says this, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. In other words, if you're looking at good things, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Amen. Point number four. This is the last point. This was short. This was a, just more like a teaching today. Point number four is you will go through an identity evaluation. If we're going to go back to the garden, we're going to go through an identity evaluation. Now, I want you to notice something right here. Notice at the beginning of the first two temptations, the devil says this, and I indicated this earlier. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, do X, Y, Z. Somebody say if. If you are. He was trying to get Jesus to question his identity. Now, if Jesus would have done the miracles, there would have been an indication in Jesus' heart that he didn't believe that he was truly the son. Because people who are truly secure in themselves don't have to prove themselves. 
When you are secure. Now, I want you to look all the way back at Adam and Eve when we read this last week because they went through a similar question. In Genesis 3, verse 4 through 5, it says this, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die if you take of this fruit, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hold on. They exchanged the truth that they were like God for a lie that they're not. Because had they been secure in themselves and knew without a shadow of a doubt that they were a child of God, that they were a woman of God, that they were a man of God, they would have never ate of the forbidden fruit. Because they were trying to achieve something more. God is holding something back from me. Amen? And so they exchanged the truth. And you know what I really believe? I believe that the apple was much more than simply a fruit. It was a belief system. It was a belief system. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 said, And we shall make man in our own image and in our likeness. They already were like God. There was no reason for them to continue to try to be like God. They already were made in his image. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACC. FL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.